Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Amanda Murdoch, who is the global head of content at FitXer, a fitness platform. She talks candidly about her own struggles with an eating disorder, all the while working in the wellness industry. Please welcome Amanda Murdoch. The question that I ask everyone is what defining moment or challenge, right, that you faced reshaped your life to kind of where you are today? I mean, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't go through an eating disorder. Um, I mean, for, for many reasons. One, I wouldn't be here physically in terms of like in the state or the city of New York. Um, I would probably still be in the South. I would probably be married at a young age and have a family. Um, so that's like a huge difference. So it's like changed the trajectory of my life and just uh, my physical location and, and my, and my job really, because I definitely wouldn't be working in fitness. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, in the position that I am today and, and wouldn't have this career, which I love. Um, so it definitely changed it in that way. It also gave me a lot of insight. I mean, having an eating disorder, you know, changed me physically for a long time, but it also made me a lot stronger. So, you know, you don't realize how strong you are until you go through something that, you know, rocks your world and, and you have to go through, you know, doctor's appointments and treatment and you see so many different therapists and you, and you are still, and even if you have an eating disorder and still living your life, it's, I mean, that's also something that's really challenging. So it actually just made me really, maybe much more, maybe stronger, maybe more resilient. Um, we go back to, so when you say the eating disorder brought you to New York, can you be more yeah. specific? I was at University of South Carolina and I had to leave school because I was so sick. I mean, I asked to come home because I just, I couldn't physically be at school anymore. I was just, I was so sick. I was tired. I couldn't concentrate on anything. I was actually making decent grades. Surprisingly, I was surviving up nothing. Um, talking about your body, just doing amazing things. So I, I went home and while I was there during that second semester of my sophomore year, my parents were like, basically with the help of like therapists, like she needs to be inpatient. So I went to my first inpatient treatment center, which was in Wickenburg, Arizona. And I was there for 60 days. And then I came home after that. And it's like, for that one specifically, they just really didn't equip you. Um, they recommend you to go to like a step down program, but I really wanted to go home. I wanted to go back to school and blah, blah. And you're not really equipped straight out of treatment to go back into the real world. You're just not like, you don't know how to eat. You're, you're being fed meals. So you don't know how to feed yourself. Um, you may have gained the weight, but you might not be comfortable at that weight. So there's a lot of like psychological stuff that goes into it as well. So I came home, I pretty much immediately relapsed. 
So my parents sent me to my second treatment center, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I stayed inpatient for 60 days. And then I did their step-down program because I realized it, you know, that I needed to do that the first time. So I stayed there and then I ended up finishing school in Oklahoma because I was still in like basically in, in treatment. So I finished my entire college education in Tulsa. And when I finished, when I graduated, I ended up getting a job in New York, got a job in PR. At your worst, and I know that this has been sort of a, a long struggle for you, how, like how, how much weight did you lose? I don't want to trigger anybody, so I'm not going to talk about how much weight I lost or how much I weighed because I don't want to really trigger anybody that's listening because that mm-hmm. can be really triggering. But I, I never had to be too fed, but I was very, very thin. I was very underweight. Um, and I'm, I'm amazed that my body really was able to do the things it did. So when you were, so you moved to New York and started working, at what point did you kind of fall into fitness? I was in New York for maybe like four years before I, I wasn't allowed to work out. So when I first came to New York, my treatment team here, because wherever you go, you basically have like a treatment team, especially that close out of, um, treatment. You have a therapist and you have a nutritionist. It's basically what they call a treatment team and a, and a psychiatrist if you are on, on medication. So after um, I, I moved to New York, I, I, my team was like, she, you know, I didn't weigh enough that I was able to work out. And um, so I wasn't allowed to work out. And then I moved, I got my, my job, which was in branding and brand management. And so I started working there and there was a yoga studio called Pier that had just opened up. And I asked if I could do yoga and I was approved to do yoga. So I started doing yoga and I just, I fell in love with it. So that's sort of how I fell into fitness is that I first started with yoga and, and doing it and loving the freedom to move my body and, and just yoga in general. It is, it's very gentle. I liked the ability to, um, it was an independence thing as well. So I think that's what really drew me to it was that I felt like I had some sort of autonomy over my life as well, because now I could, I could work out. I had this freedom and then I did the teacher training and then it sort of moved from there where I could, you know, I did different modalities. I got you know, certified in different, um, teaching. So like, you know, personal training, Pilates, um, different types of Pilates. So machine Pilates, Matt Pilates, um, TRX, spin, like all those different certifications. So that's sort of how it progressed. So when you were teaching and obviously teaching yoga and, you know, as a teacher presenting yourself as a teacher, right. Embodying that role, how, how much of a struggle was it for you to, you know, present this, the embodiment of self-awareness and health all the while, I'm sure, quietly in your life, you're still struggling with your own eating disorder. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think a lot of trainers, and especially now with the influx of social media, they deal with um, looking like a trainer and having a trainer's body and, um, and you know, or that perceived societal standard. And I think that... Um, I was lucky in that I was started teaching when social media wasn't really a thing 
um, but that it's really challenging. And I think that's what really sort of pushed me to get better. And the end was I did feel like a fraud um, for the majority of my teaching career. I felt like an imposter because here I am preaching about, you know, living healthy and like, I mean, I would get asked these PR pieces about like what's in your refrigerator. And it was like, <laughs> show them what's my refrigerator. I don't have anything in my refrigerator, you know, just like things like that. Where you're just like, oh my God, do I have to like go buy food to like put in my refrigerator? So it doesn't look like I, you know, it was just like things like that. So I, I think that really pushed me to, to get better and to seek, um, different new, you know, a different nutritionist and a different therapist that would sort of push me and, and help me and give me the tools to get better. Cause I just, I wasn't equipped at that time, even though I'd been through two, two treatments, you know, it's not always the easiest to recover from eating disorder. Um, so I, I think that really pushed me. And so that I was able to stand up in front of a class and feel more authentic in my teaching and just me being able to be a role model because you are looked at in a certain way. You are perceived a certain way. When you're a teacher, you are a role model for people, you know, whatever that may be. And I always hated it when people, it always felt so uncomfortable. I'm sure other people with the same sort of, you know, with eating disorder or anything, um, body dysmorphia will tell you when people are like, oh, I want your arms or your body is so great and blah, blah. And you're just like, oh my God, do you know what I go through every day? Like, do you know the mental struggle and the mental toll that this, that I, you know, I live with every day. It's just, you know, so that's why also commenting on people's body and commenting on people's weight is not, it's not the best either. Right. <laughs> obviously. You don't know what, what people are going through and what they're struggling with. So I always really hated it when people commented. Um, on my body, positive or negative, because it just, it makes you feel so uncomfortable. Either it makes you feel, um, you know, either way, it's, it, it, even if they're saying it in a positive way, it'll make you feel negative. So could you pinpoint a moment in your life when all of this started to take place or start? I think, you know, I historically don't do well with change. And I think that there was a lot of change happening in my life when this really started, I think, um, my grandma passed away. My, my grandfather was really sick. He was in a nursing home and he moved to South Carolina to be with us. And we put him in a nursing home. Um, my mom had had a back surgery. I was going away to college. I just think there was a lot of things that like were happening all at the same time that sort of just pulled the trigger on something that was already inside of me. Right. Um, and I think those, those pressures and just not having, like having the change and then having, you know, your mom dealing with her, her family, you know, going through the death of her, her mom and putting her dad in a nursing home and then her back surgery where she's not really paying attention anymore. You can get away with more stuff. You're off at college, you know, things are, you're, you have a, and I've always had body dysmorphia. And so just having that, like, you see other girls and you're like, I should look like that. And what do guys want? And I should be more of like what they want. You know, there's always those type of pressures. And I think it just, um, it pulled the trigger. And my friend, my roommate at the time was like, we're going to go on Atkins because this is when Atkins really started. And she was like, we're going to go on Atkins. Do you want to do it with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. I had no idea what it was. And it ended up just like not eating anything. Like they're like, <laughs> Because it was it's like, not funny, but yeah, 
but like, but it was like when fat free was like, you know, when like, it was like fat free, oh, yeah. you can't eat fat. And so fat was like demonized. So then it was like, Atkins was like, you have to eat fat, but I was still so afraid to eat fat because I'd been told my entire life not to. So then I was like, okay, well I can't eat fat and I can't eat carbs. So like, what is there left to eat? You know, it's like, you can't have, you're just taking out two like huge food groups. So, um, then that was like really the start. Like it was like, that's what really pushed me over the edge was like starting the Atkins diet, which then I just made up my own diet. And then that just became like a full blown eating disorder. And by the time I went home for the summer, I lost so much weight. My mom was just like, who is this child? And obviously very concerned about me, but she had back surgery. So it was like, she was in so much pain and dealing with that. And, and, you know, it was, and my dad's working all the time. So it was like, I got away with it in in some way, you know, or no one was was paying attention. At the worst part of it, though, did you? I mean, I know that people have to isolate, right? In socially, because this. Oh my is, god, I had no friends. Right, because there is no way to share any of this, right? Because no. it's such a thing that you do in secret. So, how did you manage? Um, I mean, did the do you feel like the loneliness fueled the eating disorder and vice versa? I don't know many people have had an eating disorder that don't also have some sort of anxiety or depression, some sort of like mental aspect of it. Um, so I think it's like chicken or the egg, what came first. And so I think that I had already been depressed. And so I think that that just also was a way for me to deal with uh, social anxiety and just was, was isolating. And then it's, you need to isolate because you can't go out and eat with anybody and you're not drinking and you're not doing what normal 20, 21 year olds or, you know, 18, 19 year olds are doing. I know that your recovery has been long and you've had many stops in the road and, and turns in the road, but can you find that moment where you really just said enough is enough. I'm going to make the change because I want to make my life different. And can you kind of pinpoint when that happened? Yeah. So I think, you know, if I really look back and I think it's been a couple of different points, I was like, wow, this is really pushing me in the right direction. But I, I ended up, I was with this one, I was dating this one guy and I was so sick during this relationship. Like it just, this relationship, there's, this guy was not a bad guy, but this relationship made me sick because it wasn't a good relationship, but there, it was just because we didn't match, you know? And, and I just got really sick. I was able to like, work all the time and not take care of myself and then be with him. And it was just like a very toxic for me relationship. So I got really sick. And so when that relationship ended, I was like, I saw pictures of myself and I was like, this is bad. Like I've gotten to the point where I am back at the point where I should go back in treatment if I don't turn this around, if I don't start eating the way I need to eat. So I I went and sought out a nutritionist that I felt would really help me. And she was amazing. And that's when my, my recovery really started, you know, in New York, um, was with her because she was like, Oh yeah. Like I, I couldn't go in treatment. I didn't want to. And so she was willing to work with me to not go into treatment. And, um, if I did exactly what she said, and so I was very committed at that point to getting better. And I think with her support, I was able to do that. It's amazing. Um, and I know that for people with eating disorders, so much of it about it is about control, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's probably gets triggered when you feel as though your life is spiraling out of control. It's the one thing that you know how to control. Absolutely. Right. 
Yeah, for sure. And so now as you face different challenges, I'm sure it's still a struggle. How do you keep that need for the control in check? Uh, you get to a certain point in recovery where it's just, you can't go in reverse. Like going in reverse would be like, I can never go back there. Like I can't even imagine going. I never thought I, when you're in a place, when you're in your eating disorder, you can't imagine getting to the place where you are in recovery, where you're like good with food, good with exercise, good with your body. You can't ever imagine that place. So once you get to that place, you can't ever imagine going backwards and, and getting to the place where you are miserable because I vividly remember being miserable, like fearing food, being so unhappy, like thinking about, okay, the only time I'll ever eat cake is on my wedding day. Like just insane thoughts where you're just like, this makes total sense and it makes no sense and it's not rational. So I think of those times whenever I'm having, if I've ever was like a, a hard day or you're, I'm having a problem with my body image, it's like, all right, but the alternative is so much worse and this is so much better. So it's just one day at a time and one moment at a time. Okay. So I like to ask this question because I do think I'm trying to, for me, come to some understanding of um, what it is in people who can overcome incredibly challenging moments or challenging things in their lives. Is it something in your nature that has propelled you to really put one foot forward or do you think it's perhaps the way you were nurtured? I think it's part, it's just my personality. Like I do not give up. I am like a dog with a bone. Like I am not a quitter. Um, I like to see things through. I am a hard worker. That is just my personality. So it never was a thought to like give up or to like not try to get to recovery or to not get that job or to not, you know, to succeed in this thing. It's, it's always been in my personality to do that. So with recovery, it was never a question as if, if I was going to recover, it's just when, and I knew I was going to do it. I knew it would happen. It's just part of my nature to my personality to persevere. I'm extremely resilient. But the flip side of that is that when you were probably in your worst moments, right? That same perseverance yes. and dedication absolutely held you absolutely. to the worst moments of your own eating disorder, 100%. right? I am very stubborn. So you can't tell me no, I am going to prove you wrong. So while you were going through recovery, was there, was there a person or support or what was it that kind of kept you, you know, grounded, connected to the outside world as you were dealing with something that's so internal, right? And, and a struggle internally. Well, I give a lot of credit to the treatment team. So at Laureate, which is the eating disorder um, recovery that I went to, they really equip you for dealing with the outside world. So they teach you how to go out to restaurants. They teach you how to make food for yourself. They take you to movies. They you know, nothing's really off limits. So if you wanted to drink Diet Coke, you can drink Diet Coke. Like, you know, those things are, are important to equip you to deal with the real world. And they have amazing therapists and nutritionists. And so I, I would say to go, I'm still in touch with the therapist that I had at that treatment center because I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here without them. Your, your life now is profoundly different. Um, you are 
married, about to start a family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, it took me a long time to get here. I mean, it took me forever to meet Mike. Like I didn't meet Mike till I was 37. And I, you know, I always was worried about fertility. You know, I think a lot of people with anorexia are worried because, you know, you don't get your period. And then, I mean, I didn't have my period for, I don't know, 15 years. And so forever I was worried about my fertility and it was a struggle. It took a really long time and it took a lot of different, um, like medical, you know, I had to do chelation. I had to, I go through all these things and the, you know, the doctors are just like, put her on birth control. But I knew that that wasn't the right answer. So I think a lot of women, you know, are worried about their fertility. And so I, you know, was so grateful when I got my period back and I was ovulating and all those things that I knew that I could get pregnant. And I was worried even trying to get pregnant of like, well, will it really happen? Like, are these good eggs? You know, I've waited for so long and we were very lucky. And then how does, how does your personal struggle and experience inform you in your position at Daily Burn? So do you work through the lens of compassion if you see an instructor or a fitness person that you think is struggling? I, you know, for me, I work really hard at, at my job to keep that message going where we do not talk about weight. We do not talk about a summer body or getting ready for bikini season. We, that's just, we don't talk about like, you know, work out to earn your food or anything like that, or to, you know, you know, earn your Thanksgiving dinner or your Christmas treats or whatever. Like that is not the conversation we have. And I, I definitely made that known when I first started, because that is, you know, triggering for people going through any sort of what it's disordered eating or eating disorder. And I think that that can be triggering to men and women. And I, I just don't want that to be the conversation that for a company that I work with. Um, so me having gone through this has definitely shaped the way that I have a conversation with my own company about what we talk about and, you know, who is part of our, um, our trainer team. So I am really big on representation. I want you to see yourself represented on camera and to feel like you're seen and heard and that people of all shapes, colors, sizes deserve to work out and deserve to be part of fitness. And that is a huge thing that I'm very, very passionate about in my career. So I, I really drive that home and at Daily Burn. I think that's amazing and how important that is, right? Because I, I, in the flip side of this Instagram world yes. is I see, unfortunately, the, especially our business of yoga and the practice of yoga turn into an aesthetic, right? And the prettier the picture, the more crazy the pose, the more likes and hits you get, right? That's kind of the message. and message that you're that's being received actually to a lot of people absolutely yeah and I think it's great fortunate yeah and I think that the more big companies that and brands and influencers try to change the the story you know and try to change the perspective the better and I think a lot of companies have started doing that I I want more you know it's like it shouldn't be about you know, what you look like 
everybody should be able to do yoga because everybody can do yoga. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a disability or not. It doesn't matter what you look like. You know, everybody should be able to enjoy whatever they love in fitness and it should be accessible to them. So I, yeah, I think there are definite two sides to social media. I just hope that the conversation for body positivity and body neutrality and body acceptance grows louder. I think that's great. So I love to end by asking the sort of the obtuse question or the question from left field. So I'm going to ask you if you could find a song that represents your life. What, what, what is the name of that song? I mean, I was going to say, I believe I can fly, but that we don't talk about R. Kelly in this house. Okay. So you can use that title. And why do you pick that one? I just think it's symbolic. Like, I think it's important to believe in yourself, even when you're going through hard times and just knowing that you can, I mean, that's just part of my personality is just like believing in myself and knowing that that I'm going to get through whatever I'm going to get through or that I can um, take on any task. Um, and I, I, I hope that I instill that in people that I work with and, you know, in my belief in, in myself. And I hope that I give that sort of confidence to other people that they can, you know, advocate for themselves and, and speak up for themselves. And you're going to be doing that for your child. I hope so. More importantly. Yeah. Um, so I think you are an incredible human being, Amanda. Yes, we're friends. But even if we were not friends, I would kind of marvel at your journey. And where you are today is remarkable. And I'm so grateful to be witness to it. And I feel like I've seen a lot of it. Um, yeah. yeah. Friends for a long time. Yeah. And, um, and I think that your message is so important and I'm very, very grateful that you're working in this industry in which we both work where, you know, we see a lot of stuff that is unhealthy, whether it's people that come to your classes or people that you work with. And this idea of body positivity is something that I think everybody needs to hear and to recognize and to embrace, right? And so I'm very, very grateful that you do work in this industry in that in that way and that you're able to share your story and to more importantly frame the discussion based on your own experience. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's um something I'm really proud of is to work in this industry. And so I just I just want to keep pushing that message forward, you know. I just think it's a real privilege to be working in fitness and to affect people's lives the way that we do on such a, you know, personal level because fitness is so personal. And I know that you've seen this with your own clients and your own students, uh, how much you mean to them and how much, you know, their practice means to them and, you know, for yoga. So I just, I think it's a real honor to work in, in this industry. And I just, I just want to see it you know, move forward in a positive way. Well, that comes to the end of our interview. Um, Thank you so much for doing this, Amanda. And I know, oh, and can people find you on Instagram? Just, yeah, I'm at the Murdoch movement. So you can 
you can ask any questions. I'm I'm very open with my story and and what I've gone through. So feel free to ask me any questions or you know anything that you want to know. I'm happy to answer. It's great. Thank you for doing that. And more importantly, thank you for spending this time with us. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it. I'ma say this because we gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.